0: Welcome to Marathon Swim Stories, where we explore the human side of the superhuman feats of endurance swimmers, and those who support them. I'm Marathon Swimmer and Coach, Shannon Keegan. Today I traveled through time. I spoke with Dean Summers, and what will be my tomorrow, his today. In hot pursuit of the ocean, seven, the Australian has ticked off six of the seven channels, the seventh. The Suguru Strait continues to elude him. At home, in and on the water, Dean is perfectly suited for the challenge. He even tells us about swimming with the shark for hours. I hope you enjoy his story. All right, Dean, thank you for being my guest today. What's your story?
1: <laughs> well, thanks for uh, inviting me on the show. Shannon, and um, I don't know, that is a broad question. What's your story? (laughs) So I'm um, an Australian long-distance swimmer. I've come to the sport, or I've come back to swimming after a a long hiatus um, when I was working at sea and working ashore. So I've really only started swimming again since about 2013 or 14. Okay. Um, and as I mentioned earlier a bio, I just fell into a bad gang mm.
0: uh, and
1: extreme swimmers, and very soon <laughs> started swimming with uh, people who were training for the English Channel, and I was just blown away. It was quite incredible. And then one thing led to another, and now in our squad, uh, English Channel swimmers are pretty common.
0: Is that right? <coughs> were, you, were you a swimmer growing up as a kid?
1: Uh, yeah, I grew up in Western Australia and uh, in the port of Fremantle, And uh, it was very much a beach culture. Uh, And my parents had us in swim squads and and such. I wasn't a great swimmer. I liked the long distance even then. I liked the mile races. Mm -hmm. Um, But we all swam in squad, uh, state swimmers. I didn't get any titles there. But at about 14, I found other distractions. The beach was much more, you know, to my liking. And there was a different social group down there. And so I left the squads. And then at 16 I went to sea so I left the ocean and the pools all together.
0: What did you do out at sea?
1: I was a merchant seafarer so Fremantle's a, a port as I said and um, it's the sort of the centre of uh, Western Australia for shipping mm-hmm. um, and I went to sea on what they call the state ships. There was a fleet of ships owned by the West Australian government. Um, they were great training ships they were pretty hard working ships uh, and they went to some pretty tough ports but uh, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. And it's just a bit of uh, irresponsibility. You know, you l- you're looked after by the crew and you grew up pretty quick. And um, I just had an affinity with the sea ever since. My father was a seafarer, his father, my son. So it's really, and my daughter, uh, it really is a uh, a family business.
0: Yeah. So when did you start getting out in open water?
1: Uh, in open water swimming or open uh-huh. water yes,
0: Open. Sorry, <laughs> no, I don't mind crossing my paths here. Yes, open, when did you start swimming in open water? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I came ashore and became a union official in Western Australia and 20 years ago I was invited to come to Sydney to head up an international program, um, but it had to be based in Sydney. I came here and I worked um, really hard on that. It was a lot of travel and a lot of stress, a lot of international work. Uh, but about 2013 I had a bit of a, a wake-up, nothing, you know, physical, I didn't have a heart attack or anything like that, but I just sort of woke up to myself and thought I'd better get a bit fit, try to regain my fitness. And I got back into a pool after years and years of being out of it and uh, congratulated myself on doing four laps and I was pretty wrapped And the next week I did six and eight and the way you do. And the pool was inundated by little kids and there's a beautiful 50 metre pool near where I lived. They cut that in half to make two 25 metre pools mm-hmm. which should be a crime against humanity. Right, <laughs> <Anyway, laughs> right. Imagine like making it's... deliberately a 25 metre pool. <laughs> right and so i moved into city pools and uh, somebody said if you're really serious about swimming then you should see vlad uh, and i went and met vlad uh he's coach in sydney uh, an iconic figure an iconic swim coach he brings to the sport a mixture of eastern european toughness because he was um, uh, educated in moscow he's a slovenian slovakian sorry uh, but also the technical um expertise, I suppose, of, um, of swimming these days from the West. So he's got both and Vlad could ask people easily to swim through a brick wall and you try and try because he's just that sort of, he's just wow. got that character about him. He's amazing.
0: That's great. So started swimming with Vlad and he's swimming in the, in the sea?
1: No, we are swimming, well we are swimming squads uh, like four days a week in a beautiful <laughs> pool in the city called the Andrew Boyd Child in Sydney and overlooks the harbour, it's outdoor, it is really a beautiful pool. Uh, but I remember looking up and somebody said, see those guys over there, they're training for the English Channel. I thought, wow, that is amazing. And everybody I could speak to, I said, I've been in the water with people who are training for the English Channel. And I was just so impressed. And I started talking to those guys and started having um, weekend swims. So Vlad's program is that uh, on Saturdays we have long swims, that get longer and longer. And you can swim along with those that are training for different things so uh, english channels sometimes they do eight hours on the weekend which is a big hit out and in winter you do the eight hour qualifying in under 16 degrees all the things that we know and mm. uh, so i started sort of tinkering around that but just got absorbed in it very very quickly so a big clutch of lad swimmers i think there were seven went off or maybe five went off in 2014 to swim the channel all successfully Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just lined up for the next year. And the thing you don't do with LAD is say, can I, do you think I could do this? Because the answer is always going to be yes, of course you can.
0: Right, right. So, what was your first uh, marathon swim that you signed up for?
1: Um, if it's just the marathon swims, like I expect that's over 10 kilometers. Right. Uh, right. We we just started doing those on the weekends. On the
0: weekends, okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, there's some great places you can do them here and you can choose your conditions. Uh, there's a beach called Brighton on the Sands and that's very still very cold in winter. Uh, for us, it's cold. I don't know that it's cold for something from <laughs> Oregon, but uh, it, it gets down to probably 13 or 12, which is uh, degrees C. I I'm not no idea what that is in ancient uh, I, Fahrenheit. I to, right, exactly.
0: I need to <laughs> no start being able to... No civilised country in
1: the world uses that. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <That's just gigantic. laughs> um, but it's cold enough to prepare for even the North Channel there, so we use that when we want to. And uh, I live in Coogee, as the beach is just over here, Uh, and it's just the most beautiful beaches and there's so many rocks and you've heard of Bondi Beach, which is a big stretch of almost a kilometre of white sand, Uh, and you just choose whichever course, and uh, we're preparing now in two weeks' time for a 20-kilometre swim along the Gold Coast. Mm -hmm. So that's been put off because of COVID for the last year. It'll be the first time it's actual a race. So we did those, but I suppose the first race and the first uh, really big swim that I did sign up for was Rottnest Swim in Western mm. Australia, back to where I come from. Uh, and that's a 20-kilometre swim across from the mainland to the beautiful Rottnest Island, usually very clear. And so I over-engineered that. And something coaches tell you is to simplify your thinking, simplify your feeding, your everything you do about it. But I don't know too many swimmers who do that on the first swim because you right. <laughs> there's something else I could be doing. I could be swimming more, I could be swimming colder, maybe I should be eating more and So I just mashed that up. I I did the swim with not too many problems. I was slow, but I ate too much. I vomited a lot. Um, But it just made me understand that maybe the coaches understand what they're talking about.
0: They sure do. Right. (laughs) So um, what what did it feel like when you finished that? That first swim, or even when you just started pushing these weekend-long swims, like what would what did that feel like? Why did you want to go do it again?
1: <laughs> well, that's that's an important question. I've never really understood why we all do that. Perhaps you've had some people on your show that can explain it, but you just want to do longer, not necessarily faster, but you just want to stay in the water and experience more and more things. And like every channel, the Rottnest, I've done it three times and every time it's been very different, even though the climate is very stable in Western Australia. But you know, the English Channel and all those other swims around the world, all the ones your previous speakers have spoken about are always different. Even in lakes, the conditions seem the same, but they're so very different. So that keeps me coming back. Uh, It was a long leap from four laps in the pool, in a hot indoor pool. Uh, to 10 kilometres, but I was pretty proud of myself when I did a 10 kilometre. I was very proud when I did a four kilometre and had to sleep for the rest of the weekend. Uh, But (laughs) (laughs) uh, everything's in perspective. Uh, I I just like the idea that you are with a group of friends. It's competitive in a little way, but it's not like a triathlete's competitive and watching their watch looking next door, making sure nobody's on the edge. You want to bring everybody with you just to see where the boundaries are and see where the limits are. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. Um, And I'm with you. I'm not knowing exactly why, but keep coming back because it's always different. And you always come out of it just feeling like, what else? What else could I do? Right? (laughs) That's
1: exactly right. And where is the limit? And so we pick up on things like the Ocean Seven because right from the beginning we used to sit around having a coffee where we're training for the first challenge. you know there's an ocean seven and people could rattle which ones they were off and we'd all sort of sit around the coffee table with mouths agape thinking that's almost impossible um, but that's set before you and there are amazing swims and they're tough swims um, but i think the real future of swimming is in breaking new new swims looking at new horizons <clears throat> and just again seeing how far um, and where you can swim. I yeah. just love that idea. And there's plenty of people um, in my small sphere in Australia that are, are doing that now, and people like Timmy Garrett are just crazy swimmers and crazy athletes, and they'll do all sorts of things, including arch to arc and uh, manifestations of of that sort of thing. Um, we had a swimmer, Lauren um, Teschendorf, last weekend or the weekend before, swam around Norfolk Island, and, of course, Linton Mortensen did that for the first time anybody ever did that only weeks before that so that's an incredible thing it's even in our state norfolk island and not too many people knew what it was it's a (laughs) flight out to sea to the east Uh, It's this magnificent island um but abounds with sea life and she said she was buzzed by sharks the whole time at any time she could see a a dozen sharks around her so it was pretty tough swim Uh, there's a reason it hadn't been done before Um, But, you know, that's the, um, that's a pioneering spirit. That's another kind of swimming where I feel drawn to all the time as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's so much water out there, right?
1: (laughs) Exactly. And Emma Radford, it's even in the rivers too. Emma Radford from, from our team um, reinvented or refound the Derwent river swim. It's a 35 kilometer swim in Hobart in Tasmania um, because of COVID because we couldn't travel. And so she, found that again. And that's a pioneering. And now a lot of people in Australia, because we can't travel very far, are drawn down to those sort of swims. So it's an exciting time. Uh, And they're all good friends, but they just got this wonderful camaraderie about finding new places to swim and exploring and pioneering. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep, Yeah. So when did you get the idea about this whole Ocean 7 thing?
1: Oh, God. I wish I could track it back and... (laughs) I don't don't want to undo any of those because they are incredible. And each one of those has got a a big story around them. I've always maintained that the story is not only the swim and that's part of it. Um, Long-distance marathon swimmers know that the swim actually is just the pinnacle. It's just the end of a big process of training, of deprivation, of putting your body and your family through things you shouldn't probably order. Um, But the swim is actually just the end tip of the iceberg all the rest that goes behind it but when you go to those channels then there's a whole story i mean the english channel the history around that place and i don't think that the locals do it much justice because I, ex- I was expecting you know um a matthew webb museum or something like that and pictures of all the wonderful things and the incredible situations people have put themselves through to swim across that channel it's a little understated but there is a huge story around that channel and some some channels, like I suppose the North Channel is a great um, example because the people in that area and the chunky dunkers that get there, the, the the entire village turns out and swims every single morning. And Love as that. soon as a candidate comes up to swim, they just embrace them, uh, look after them, show them everything. And they're so generous with their time and information. It's a really beautiful thing. So each one of those Ocean Sevens is an experience and a huge experience and shouldn't be rushed.
0: Right, Yeah. Um, so tell us about um, which one are you most proud of to date?
1: <laughs> um, it's a, That's a hard question too, but yeah, you know, I'm really proud of all of them. They're all a huge, huge achievement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really proud of the processes that I mentioned before, and we all understand bringing my family through that. My daughter still reminds me of having to sit in our house in winter. Again, not an Oregon winter, a Sydney winter where it's quite mild, but, With the doors open, with the windows open, and the heater off. And she was walking around with beanies on and blankets and everything else, complained for a year uh, while I was having ice baths in the backyard. So um, (laughs) they're pretty strict times. Uh, But she laughs about it now. The great thing about that for me, though, is that my daughter and my son come along to some of these as well. And certainly my wife's there for all of them. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, so, that is a great thing to include family and everybody else because to do it otherwise, I think, would be near, nearly impossible if you didn't have the support of those ones around you. Um, so, the North Channel is incredibly tough, and some channels can be hard, and on better days, they can be a little less hard. Uh, I think the North Channel is always, always hard. You know, Cook Strait was incredibly tough. Um, but the one that I really enjoyed the most, I suppose, is a Third question probably was Molokai out in the middle of the ocean. And the whole thing about Hawaiian swim is that Hawaii itself is only a few few specks of rocks in the middle of the ocean and there's nothing around it. And then you get between those two specks of rocks and in the middle of the night, you are very, very much alone. The boat usually goes out and feels the current. So they're, they're away from it. It's just you and a kayaker in the middle of the night in the middle of the ocean, very, very deep, yeah. You know, very very dark. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. I wasn't spooked by that at all. I don't get spooked, but it was just a really beautiful feeling.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That sounds really nice. I want to go back to your family for a second. How did it go? Um, the first the first conversation with with your wife and your kids. You're like, okay, I'm swimming the
1: English Channel. How did
0: how did that go? Well. Or wait, we know, I, I don't even that. know. Tell me which, yeah, tell me which one was first, even. Like, I don't even well, know.
1: Well, I was on, I was living on my own, so I just decided that I'd okay. do the channel. That wasn't much of a conversation. Okay. It was just <laughs> Vlad saying, yes, of course you can. So I thought, well, if he thinks I can, then I must be able to. Okay. So I decided to do that. Um, in the lead up to that swim, I was on a, uh, a swim camp uh, on the holidays, and I went to Greece with Vlad and a whole bunch of other people, uh, including um, somebody I hadn't met then, Kylie, uh, but... We met each other on a Vlad's swim camp and now we're married. So, um, ah. <laughs> uh, halfway into that swim camp, I told her that I intended to do the English channel. So, it was never news to her. She always did. <laughs> <it. laughs> uh, my daughter, who's an adult, she came and lived with me and uh, she just sort of shrugged and didn't really grasp what it meant until I started asking her to come out in the nights paddling for me. And she did that willingly and That's loved it, in fact. Uh, even though she got dumped on the beach many, many times, got <laughs> cold, froze, you know, and everything else. But she was part of that little community, that little clique that you'd trade together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I just thought that was beautiful. So our work associates didn't, I don't know, they didn't care. I think they were just sick of hearing about water and swimming and oceans and English Channel statistics being regurgitated all the time. So I think they just had a pact, don't mention anything to do with the water. which is a bit tough given that we were from the Maritime Union of Australia. So so water was inevitable. Always gave me an opportunity to talk about it.
0: Right, right. Yeah. How old are your your kids?
1: Uh, My daughter is – she's going to kill me for this. She's going to be 40 next year. So, And my son is 41.
0: Okay, yeah. so you were able to just kind of bring him in and <laughs> say, hey, help me out. And yeah, they were, exactly. That's wonderful. I'm lucky
1: that they live, they live in Sydney now. They hadn't always lived in Sydney, so mm-hmm. uh, they took an interest, and they think I'm a bit crazy, but um, I know that they're very proud, they're very proud of themselves being part of those swims. And mm-hmm. In fact, uh, my son Daniel in um, more than one of the swims uh, got me out of trouble when in Japan I was swimming very, very close to the propeller after swimming for 12 hours and it was pretty oh, no. rough yeah. and he was close enough that he could reach reach over and slap me on the side of the head to sort of <laughs> break, break me out of the, the spell and then told me I was getting far too close which is a good thing yeah so i did in debt for him and uh, my daughter Michelle just has put up with some really tough environment um to to get me across many of those channels as well
0: that's great I love that support that's awesome
1: yeah
0: um what, um, what is it like when, you know, how do you get through those moments in the channel when you're, you know, you're, I don't know, do you have the demons coming and making it hard for you or falling asleep? I don't know. Tell me about some hard stuff you've had to see face. <laughs>
1: um, well, I, I hear a lot of swimmers say that they've got those the demons and the walls they have to push through. I don't really feel that. Hmm. Uh, I'm at, at I'm pretty at peace when I'm swimming, even in really rough weather, even when the waves are breaking over and there's white water everywhere, I still feel comfortable and I can find a comfortable place there and a comfortable rhythm there. And we practice a lot in surf here uh, and it can get pretty choppy and messy, so we don't shy away from that. We go out on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love the idea that you can still get yourself in a little bit of a bubble and feel absolutely secure in your own capacity to get out of that trouble. So yeah. I, don't, I don't feel those dark, horrible, demon places where everyone's screaming at you to get out. I <laughs> recognize them and I can move on from them. Uh, but the weather's never a problem. The distance, you know, everybody has a bit of a low point in those swims where you just feel, oh, my God, it's so, I'm so tired. And sometimes that's food and sometimes it's other reasons. But I just expect it. And then I know that soon after that there's another high point. So you're going to feel much better about that. Um, so the weather, cha- environmental challenges are never a problem for me. Mm-hmm. The only big problem is big currents where you don't have mm-hmm. any say in it. And when you get technical swims like Japan, where you really have to find a sweet spot through that current and you can't, then, you know, it's, it's not down to me, not swimming hard enough or fast enough. If there's a five knot current, you're never going to get through that. So it's about timing. It's about putting yourself in the best position at the best time preempting that and all of those things are out of my hands really they're up to the pilots and the <clears throat> and the onboard crew so you just got to put yourself in their hands um, plenty of other channels have got um cross currents at the end and you have to like the north channel's got this terrible current at the end you have to sort of break through um, but those guys are so professional that they'll put their boat and they'll feel around where it is and they put you through at the best spot so i'm very grateful for that um, i don't bother about sharks or jellyfish are a problem i don't know what they're like on your coast but we have blue bottles here that prepare us for all eventuation eventuations in an, in the world and uh, the blue bottles are portuguese man of war and sometimes the beaches are carpeted by them after a storm and they only come in on a northeast wind so we see a northeast wind and we know we're going to be stung by them oh, uh, uh, we go out and tough them out as much as we can but they can really debilitate you they can stop you moving your arms I can get into your lymph glands and they can really be a problem
0: yeah yeah one of my clients is in Australia and don't ask me which state she she, um I just learned about blue bottles this year and had to go look it up and I was just like that's crazy crazy to think of
1: (laughs) and they've got these long tentacles there's this beautiful little blue bottle probably a bit bigger than your thumb that just floats Mm. on the water apparently it's got no say in which way it goes it's just determined by the wind like a sail Uh, and these beautiful long long tentacles that will wrap around your face and get you in every possible sensitive spot and sting like a we say it stings like a bastard but you can't you can peel it off but it just continues to sting and sting and welt up for days afterwards Wow, the horrible little beasts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like you said, it prepares you for whatever you're gonna hit out there.
1: That's right, and so you get stung in every every ocean. But then, yeah. you just flinch and just brush it off. It's not a blue bottle, so that's a good thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did you um, see many lines, mane and north in the North Channel?
1: Uh, I got a little bit stung around my hands. Uh, we steered. We started early in the piece steering around them because you can see them from the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, we thought, oh, you know. Let's just not go to all that trouble. We've just got to swim through them. So I got a few whacks, but nothing really debilitating. And I had expected a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, my problem up there was that it was it was um, twelve degrees in the water, five degrees outside, <clears throat> twelve to thirteen in the water. Uh, and every time you lifted a shoulder out, that five degrees wind just blew across your shoulder. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Uh, <laughs> and by the time I'd made it to the end, I was um, certainly hypothermic. And the last yeah. few meters were just agony. And I can't really? remember And I can't remember the next number of hours coming home either.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. But, but you made it, though. You made it. To oh, I made it.
1: Uh, yeah. the, one thing I wouldn't recommend is that I had a kidney stone 48 hours before oh, the swim. No. I, know that I was aware that there were a lot of other people waiting to swim, and I was sort of in the line. Uh, and I really wanted We've got a lot of invested in this whole swim. My wife was up there, and, and Vlad was up there as well. Out of nowhere, I've got this terrible pain in my kidney. And I knew that if I went to the doctors, then I'd get morphine or something else, and that would put me out of the swim. So I thought I'd tough it out for a while, Uh, and it was just agony, and I was writhing on the ground all night. I couldn't sleep, couldn't stand, couldn't sit. So I was just moaning like something, a horrible dying beast. And um, 24 hours of that, and then it just stopped. And I was exhausted from that. I had 24 hours to sort of regain... Um, some semblance of fitness and then straight into the water after that. So I could still feel that throbbing pain through the swim. It was just a, it wasn't a pain. It was just sort of saying, I'm still here. I'm just giving you the day off today. So uh, I think that might've contributed to my end result of being completely hypothermic.
0: Right. Yeah. just kind of your whole body kind of in the slow spot and then forcing yourself to swim.
1: (laughs) It's amazing. I've heard other people who have been sick with the flu and whatever, and they just sort of put it on the back burner. You do your swim, but you're certainly going to pay for it somewhere down the track.
0: Right. I don't mind, yeah.
1: I don't mind that trade.
0: <laughs> How was your recovery after that with hypothermia, kidney stone going in?
1: <laughs> How
0: oh. did it take you to get back out there? <laughs>
1: um, well, I, I came home and I was sort of nursed back to consciousness by my wife and by Vlad. And um, the next morning I felt okay. And then the kidney stone came back. So I spent the next three days in hospital. And there's a bed in the Belfast Hospital that's had about four North Channel swimmers in there for different reasons. <laughs> the, the geriatric ward where it should be.
0: <laughs> they have a name <laughs> place where you the, put your name on the wall? <laughs>
1: <laughs> they should have, yeah. <laughs> and it's got the wind howling and rattling through the windows that are, are rusted and oh, it's a sad place to be. It's a little bit anticlimactic <laughs> after swimming, one of the toughest channels in the world.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they took care of you at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did.
1: <laughs> they're really nice people yeah
0: what's um with so with travel to these you know kind of far off places have you kind of found a routine for like how far to get there in advance i mean and you have a weather window like how do you kind of plan for when you're i guess not all the swimmers i talked to are doing you know like an ocean seven some but anyway, what kind of recommendations would you have for people traveling to a uh, swim really far away?
1: <laughs> well, everywhere is far away from Australia. <laughs>
2: That's true. <laughs> everywhere. That's true. So,
1: <laughs> I don't know if you realize for us, and uh, probably a little of the same with you, it's not so bad, but from from, from Sydney to Ireland is about 30 hours flying. So wow. you have to go to the UK. So 20, it's yeah.
2: 24
1: yeah. hours. There's a bit yeah. of a wait, there's a flight, maybe not 20 maybe 26 hours. So it's a long, long day to get connecting flights. That's in the old days when we could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to sort of factor that in and you need to get a sleep and you're really fit just before these swims and I think probably a little physically vulnerable to, to colds or flus or anything else. So you just got to factor that in and give yourself plenty of time when you land.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, New
1: Zealand's a good place because Wellington, from Sydney to Wellington, is only a little hop over, which is great and it's a, it's a treat for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I got over there a week or maybe 10 days earlier for my first attempt and I just didn't get a chance to get in the water. It was
2: mm.
1: it was just terrible, the weather. It's just so windy over there.
2: Ah, um, I don't
1: know how they live in that environment, but it explains <laughs> a few things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, the, and the second time I was there for 10 days waiting, so the window opened. I was there the day before the window opened and I swam, swam on the 10th day. Oh, my gosh. So 10 days waiting on the beach, just waiting for the weather to break wow and those guys know their stuff even though you get up in the morning and it looks pretty calm and it's only 26 kilometers you think surely that's just going to hold for 26 kilometers but the topography of of new zealand on top is the same as underneath so there's mountains underneath and it creates all these whirlpools and eddies so you really are in the hands of Phil rush over there and he does a great job too
0: yeah yeah, I need to talk to him. I've heard so many wonderful things. <laughs> oh,
1: I'll be watching that one for sure. <laughs> so, in um, preparation, I, I think you just got to get your. If you do everything that your coaches tell you, you know, you, you're physically ready. You should be mentally ready. You really should have your food sort of sorted out. I have a plan that saw me through for twenty hours in um, in uh, Hawaii. So, that's a great plan to know. Even though went for thirty hours, I still had enough food. It was all prepared, uh, all very simplified, so that's my hallmark, simplify, mm-hmm. take the edges off everything,
0: uh, mm-hmm. and that's
1: seen me really well through. And it's easier for the crew to understand too rather than putting them through our... Right. My wife is going to write a book called Spewing or Vomiting the Ocean 7. She, <laughs> she has suffered for my sport really badly but keeps keeps coming back to them.
2: Yeah, So in Hawaii, yeah.
1: in Hawaii she could barely sort of... Raise her hand to, to put a food over the side, and the crew are helping her do that. Oh, at one man. stage, at one stage, it was a very large shark, and so she mustered the, you know, the strength to get up and look over the side, and this big shark just come right to the side and looked at her and swam down. So I think that woke her up, and she, you know, she was all excited again. Um, <laughs> but she does a great job as crewing, and as much as simple as I can make that, everybody's happier, and you've got a better chance of getting the right food as well.
0: Yeah yeah you'd mental mentioned mental preparation have you have any secrets that you know i won't make you share your secrets but any tidbits you want to help people out with on the mental preparation
1: sure we've got a we've got a friend who's preparing for the english channel if he's able to get to the uk this year Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's listening to advice from everybody so my advice was to him stop listening to advice you know, just too much input and yeah. his eyes are rolling in the back of his head thinking, how's he going to remember all of these things? So my simple thing is, you know, our coach is going to give you, Vlad's going to give you a training pattern for the last four months or five months. Just follow that. You don't have to think or rethink. If it says, you know, you swim 15 kilometres, just do your 15 kilometres and go home. Don't do 14 or 16, just do it. Uh, that's easy. That's all been done for you. Um, the food, you know, we've got Tara Diversi, who's a great... um um, nutritionist in australia mm, and she mm-hmm. has done the channel herself and she's also uh, advising uh, swimmers so speak to her or somebody else you trust and get your food right and for your mental aspect which i think you'd agree everybody else would agree that that's everything your approach your mindset just sit and be calm feel comfortable feel the water and just just be part of that and get in and do what you've trained for your strengths there, everything's already been done. It's only the last 10%, and that's the swim itself. So, you know, I, I shy away from giving advice because the reasons that our friend Brenton is just inundated and confused by all the advice. But um, just be calm, simplify everything, be calm, and enjoy it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you talk about, you know, just kind of finding this bubble, you know, and just be, being in your safe, happy bubble while you're swimming all the way to. France or Scotland or (laughs) wherever you might be swimming.
1: I really feel that. it's Bubble's not exactly right, but it's it's your own little environment and you've got Mm -hmm. control over everything just around you, just immediately around you. Mm -hmm. And you can see this small slither of life and whatever comes past fish and jellyfish and everything else. And that's just amusement. It's just beautiful. Get your head in a nice space where you can hear yourself breathing um, and you can get into a beautiful mind state, a meditative state.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in, in one feeding, I feed every 45 minutes, and in one feeding, um, going across the North Channel, even though it was cold and it was quite painful and everything else, I just got into that into that beautiful state. And I can't re- remember, like Vlad fed me once, and then two minutes later said it's time to feed again. He said, no, it was 45 minutes. I just couldn't reconcile with that 45. It was almost like cheating, um, but wow. it was beautiful. And I feel rested too, so maybe I had yeah. a sleep, Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Maybe had a
1: sleep. And, you know, after you swim 20 hours, you must have had some sort of microsleep. and I don't understand the physiology about that. Mm-hmm. But you must be able to have microsleeps, and your brain must be able to rest along that way.
2: Mm-hmm. I remember
1: every part of that swim, but, you know, I-, I was still quite fresh. Not fresh to go and do 50 push-ups, but fresh <laughs> enough to carry our stuff to the you know, to the car and get home and sort everything out again, so... You know, your body's an incredible thing. And I don't think we've pushed it to the limits yet in swimming. That's
0: right. We're on the way, though. There's a a huge crew of us trying to find out what we're capable of.
1: (laughs) Isn't that right? I mean, the the whole sport has taken off over the last, well, since I've been doing it. So Mm -hmm. just my small example is I'm in the pool and I was really excited about swimming with somebody who was preparing for the English Channel. And now we get into the pool, the same squad, there'll be five or six people who have done that and more and more and more. But that's just not indicative of our squad. I think that's everybody. As you see these big races, the Rottnest has, you know, I think three or 400 solo swimmers doing that 20K. That's great. The swim we're doing next, um, at the end of this month, uh, the Gold Coast Swim 20Ks, there are hundreds of solos and lots of teams and everybody else is really interested in it. Mm-hmm. So more and more people are asking. So I think the sport is on this really steep uh, incline and I, I congratulate it. Uh, I think the Ocean 7 is not the only show in town. I think swimmers got to understand that. If it was, we'd all just going to get backlogged at one or two of these right. swims and never going to get through. So yeah.
0: that's well, why there should be other things. Yeah. There's a lot of water out there. So
1: <laughs> it sure is. It sure can go is. Go
0: explore lots of water. Um, and, uh, I guess I was going to say too, it, it, I I feel like as a coach and like trying to help people inspire people to swim and swim further and challenge themselves, I think there's both like an internal growth that can happen in that as well as we can all become more aware of the water around us and it like it's cleanliness. So you can have this, you know, desire for us, the more people are out there swimming in the water, the more we all desire clean water. We're all more, a little self-aware. And <laughs> that's, that's where I'm, where I'm coming from as a coach. But um, is there anything that you've learned from marathon swimming?
1: Well, well I'm interested in what you say about the, the environment and mm, yeah. that is so important. And I see people like, Andre Worsig, I had the pleasure of meeting him, he's an Ocean, Channel, uh, Ocean 7 swimmer from, from Germany. All his training was in a 25-metre municipal pool out in the country somewhere, and he was able to get the keys to the pool after he finished work. There was no one else there, so he swam into the night, all of his training, in a 25-metre pool. Germany's not known for its beautiful beaches. You know, it's a muddy beach in the north, and there's a couple of rivers that freeze over in the in the winter mm-hmm. um, and there's some nice pools but um that must have been so tough for him and other people like uh, jonathan ratcliffe who i had the pleasure of me he and his wife in, uh, in new zealand spending 10 long days waiting for us both to swim uh, mm-hmm. he'd swam in the ocean 10 times in his life seven wow. of those seven of those was ocean seven swimming wow so, <laughs> he really appreciates the ocean and you know i live On the beach, on the water, uh, and I really appreciate it. But it's it's to be looked after, and it's our responsibility to draw attention to that. Mm -hmm. So Andre Worsley is a uh, is a champion and is an ambassador for the oceans. Does a lot of work about cleaning up the oceans, Uh, as we all do. We've all got a mind to it. Um, But it's even in isolated places like Sydney, sometimes the, the beach is full of rubbish, and we know now that you know in the northernmost enclaves of Uh, islands in Norway where nobody lives and nobody ever goes to the beaches full of plastics and rubbish Japan on the beaches there it's just incredible it's no there's rocks and there's plastic and that's it it's Mm -hmm. terrible so we've got a responsibility that's ours and the whole world depends on it but that's our environment we're immersed in that every single day so we never swim past plastic we always pick it up when we see it Um, apart from that there's a lot more that we could all be doing
0: yeah yeah
1: What more could we be doing? Well, we could be active. We could be a little bit more active, you know. And the the uh, the cities and the towns, the countries where we lived, uh, Mm -hmm. should be banning plastics, and we shouldn't have coffee shops on these beautiful beaches that have plastic lids. When the barista hands you, you say thanks, and you throw it in the bin, and it's just going to be washed up on the beach somewhere, and we're going to be swimming in that crap. So there's a real connection, a direct connection, and we've got to force change in those areas. And there's some. Um, there's some movement in Australia about banning plastic bags, single-use mm-hmm. plastic bags, mm-hmm. um, but it's like pulling teeth. It's hard, hard work, it's because really hard. the people that supply coffee cups don't want to pay another five cents for a cup that's uh, recyclable. Um, there's a, there are things we can do. We've got to take that responsibility and mm-hmm. hold it up. I think in in supermarkets and at coffee shops and just in our general day, yeah, you know, day-to-day lives.
0: Yeah, that's good advice. uh, One of my friends was observing, like, shortly after COVID kind of hit last year, just how all of a sudden, you know, people had to sing like, bulk food at the grocery store that you would usually, you know, like, had to be distributed in plastic bags here, like, they'd pre, anyway, so that's just kind of an interesting observation of, I don't know, it's, we do need to do more. It's just interesting how hard it is. Like I mean you I can't refill a coffee cup anymore at a coffee shop because they're not allowed to to they have to give it to you in a paper cup, but that's just one more paper cup. Anyway, it's hard. <laughs> but it we can hard. all keep trying to do more, right? There are
1: some answers, but you know it yeah. just slow to move. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, Yep. Yeah. Okay. Going back to what have you learned about yourself from marathon swimming?
1: Well I've learned well, I don't want to be too philosophical. I just become political, Do, <laughs> But, uh, but um, I listened to the last few of your episodes, and there is a common philosophy around swimming that I really adhere to, and that hasn't been sort of drummed into me. No one's spoken about it, but it's a feeling that you're part of a community. You're part of a. It's almost like a. <laughs> a different class of people, like a secret society of swimmers, you can land anywhere and find some swimmers and immediately feel at one with them because we share that sport, a mm-hmm. sport that's not really understood. And as you mentioned, that we're just going off into a tangent in different areas of swimming. So I just like to be part of that. I can do these long swims. Um, I, I'm not fast. I mentioned earlier that Kylie's much faster than me, but thank God she doesn't like the cold. She doesn't like the dark. She doesn't like those things. And I, I quite like them. You know, I like being immersed in the darkness and I like the sound of my own bubbles as I'm swimming, you know, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Um, there's a lot to it like that. So I just found that I, I've got a an inner strength that I can switch on when I need it. And I like that about that sport can bring it out in all of us. I think we've all got it. You mm-hmm. just have to realize it. I love swimming with people. That We've got a small island that's a one kilometre off here called Wedding Cake Island. It's just a bunch of rocks. It doesn't look anything like a wedding cake. Uh, but we <laughs> swim around that. And some people say, oh, can, would you swim around with me? Because I'm scared. Mm. You know, I'm scared that there's sharks out the back of the island. Of course, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. But I like just going around with them gently and putting them at ease, feeling, getting them just to taste and to feel that philosophy that this is the ocean, it's yours, you're part of it. You can look down, and this, even on a rough day, it's beautiful. But mm. on a calm day, it's like it's like swimming in a, um, you know, in a place where there's tiny little fish and then there's great big sharks, there's turtles. It's just a playland, a playground. I love mm. that. So, but for myself, I just feel strong in that environment. I think I can do it forever. Uh, I'm certainly going to push it in different directions. I'm really happy to be part of the Australian community. We've just had australian um triple crown so before we had to rely on this idea of somebody else's that there was a, a triple right. crown you yeah know, new, uh, new york catalina and the english channel right um and i was happy to do that but why don't we have an australian one we've got much better beaches we've got beautiful <laughs> waterways you know mm-hmm. and um, you don't have to go through all the flights everything else so we've now got an australian one and really happy about the people that are forging ahead in that and i want to be part of that um I just love this sport and I've just over the last few months retired from work. Um, Congratulations. And, and now I can just swim and nap and, you know, eat and walk along the beach. I'm yet to have a, a winter in retirement, but I'm sure that's going to be beautiful as well. So I'm in a really good place.
0: Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Is there anything that you haven't finished
1: that you've uh, well, Well, the only swim that I haven't been able to finish is the Suguru channel Mm -hmm. Uh, but I put that in perspective and COVID's done swimming a big favor I think in that we've had to find our own swims around our own countries and own cities and we're exploring our own backyard which sometimes we forget to do so Mm -hmm. I love that Um, and it's made me think that Suguru you know isn't the final peak that I've got to climb in -hmm. fact it's just one of a series so there's lots of other things to do and Suguru is is a mess if you ask me everything about that channel is in the hands of somebody else and you i don't have confidence in in those people so
2: Hmm.
1: uh, if i get a chance i'll go back and i'll try that to finish the series of ocean seven it's the only one Mm -hmm. i haven't got Uh, but when you set out in the middle of the night and you're going straight into a current that's just going to smash you all night long and you can't get to the other side um it's you know it's just not handled well it's just not managed well I'm going to be looking at other areas, things that haven't been swum before, mm-hmm. distances that haven't been swum before, um, working with other people to let, uh, let the locals in Australia and Sydney and around Australia know that this is a great sport. I thought it was going to be the cheapest sport in the world. I thought a pair of budgie <laughs> swungles, racing bathers, um, some goggles and a pool entry every now and then, you know, it's going to be so cheap. It's turned out to be incredibly expensive, <laughs> as <laughs> any channel swim <laughs> would tell you. And yeah. It's uh, just so, so expensive, but it doesn't have to be that way. So we have uh, on the weekends, we have 20 or 30 people come out in a swim with Vlad on, on the Saturdays. Some of those people go for 15 or 20 kilometres. Some are really happy just to make it around that island um, mm. or any of the other beautiful swim spots around around Sydney. And I just want to encourage that. I just want to let people know that sharks don't live on a line. If you go past the island, there's the sharks just waiting for a human being to come out. Right. And we swim. And We swim with them you know, all the time.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, Lauren reports, Lauren, uh, who I mentioned before just swam around Norfolk Island said they were everywhere. Tiger sharks swimming right alongside her and circling her all the time. That's a uh, pretty tough swimming if you ask me, but it just shows that sharks aren't there and I'm a bit of a champion for sharks too, because they get a bit of a bum rap, don't they? Sharks mm-hmm. aren't there waiting for the off chance that there's a human being comes along and they might taste them. Right. Um, <laughs> they're, they're a, Beautiful part of the ecology, and you know, if they weren't there, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have the chance to see one, it's a beautiful thing. In Hawaii, I swam with one for five hours. I just think that is the most beautiful um, experience I've ever had in the ocean.
0: Tell us about it.
1: <laughs> oh, well, you know, people talk about swimming with dolphins, and mm-hmm. two weeks. Two weeks ago we had 50 dolphins just off the headland here and my wow. wife was in the middle of them and that just made her whole swimming career. She saw a tiny baby dolphin, a little white newborn dolphin. It, it was just beautiful and you feel good and everybody in the world feels good swimming with a dolphin. But if they see a shark or hear of a shark or if somebody rumours a shark, they go into a blind panic and run screaming up the beach and it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, sharks are so intelligent. They're right at the top of their food chain. They are masters of their own, essentially, of their own destiny, and they'll do pretty well what they want to. Uh, and their goal is not to eat human beings. So when I was in Hawaii, the sun came up. And I was waiting because I was getting a little cold, even in the Hawaiian waters, and I thought the sun will come up and warm my back, and I'll just swim home for the rest of the day. It's going to be beautiful. Just as the sun came up, I saw this little shark on the top of the water come around. It was a metre, and it was only a, a pest. And I was watching that, and it came around behind me, and, I watched it come, and then it was sort of hiding behind the kayak on the side, and I looked under. It was there, but it was just like a grumpy little teenager uh, that needed a bum kicked and sent home. But then I looked down, and as I looked down, the sun was just making enough height so that I could see into the water itself, and there was a very large shark under me. And um, I looked up to the kayak, because the boat was a long way off, doing what it mm. does, looking for currents and feeling uh-huh, away.
2: uh-huh. Uh,
1: and I said to the kayak, "Can you see that?" He said, "Oh, my God!" He said, "It's the same size as my kayak, and that was 14 foot." Mm-hmm. So we're using the old old terminology now. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we do for sharks. Sharks haven't made the leap to, to uh, metric yet. Right, so it's a 14 footer, <laughs> and uh, that was just swimming very, very calmly under me. And I remember the guy at dawn was reached to his radio and said, "Shark, shark, shark!" It was mm-hmm. like special forces, you know, and the boat come across and uh and just laid alongside and said you know what do you want to do i said well i've been swimming i've got you know 12 hours invested in this swim already and a lot of money uh i'm just going to keep on swimming so they said fine just keep an eye on it if it does this if it does that I said, if that shark wants me it'll just take half a second and i'm not going to be able to give you a report on what's going on right. so, so we had a shark shield on the bow at this stage of the kayak and about and on the stern of the kayak. So mm-hmm. we had two shark shields, and I don't like getting too close to that because they buzz you as well. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. ever touch one. They're not nice thing, <laughs> get a little electric charge out of it. Right. But the shark was just maybe, maybe, maybe it's body length, maybe 14 foot under me. And she was just, I say she, I just felt she was, she was swimming very, very calmly back and forth, that distinctive uh, shape and rhythm that sharks have. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could see it very, very clearly. And I thought, well, I better not splash because the first thing that comes to your mind, they're drawn to splashing. And I haven't got the most elegant style. So my hand (laughs) went in very, very calmly. They (laughs) would have been very proud of me. Uh, Didn't make any splash and a perfect stroke catch recovery. Everything was beautiful. Uh, And the shark must have respected that because she was just watching that. And for the longest time, just back and forth. So when I stopped... I thought, oh, my leg's going to be dangling down. What's going to happen? So I stop every forty-five minutes. You can't break that routine in the middle of a twenty-hour swim. I fed, and they're all going. Where is it? The captain said he could see the shark, and it just went off to the side and basked on top of the water and waited for me to resume my swim, and then it just went back down underneath again. Oh, wow! It's just remarkable, and it stayed oh. with me off and on. So it went off and did whatever sharks do for a while, and then just came <laughs> back after half an hour or what, but. For five hours it was there and wow. beautiful. And I just had this feeling, the same feeling you get from when people swim with dolphins, mm-hmm. that it didn't mean me any harm right from the beginning. So it wasn't an act of bravery, but it was just a beautiful feeling and a sense that everything was calm. Uh, yeah. And I think she enjoyed it. I found out later it was called an oceanic white tip. So when yeah. I got back on the boat at the end of the swim, they go, the Hawaiians were skipping around and we can't believe you swam with that shark. And they were giving me all these statistics on how many US sailors they ate on a sinking of a ship and um, that Jacques Cousteau said it's the only shark you will never swim with in the ocean and all these sort of things. But I just found it this beautiful, big, gentle creature. And at one stage, it just came up to be a little bit closer with me. Just inquisitive, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And it got within the range of the shark shield. As it did, it flinched. So I'm Mm -hmm. sure that the shark shields... um, They work. (laughs) ...help. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I strongly suspect that they attract the shark in the first instance because mm. the shark can feel that electrical the, impulse from right. a long way along.
0: Right, way yeah. Out. And they yep. come
1: in and then they just sort of hover around the extremities of that shark shield. Um, mm-hmm. But that was one of the most beautiful experiences. And then as you come to Hawaii, you know, there's that great big trench It sort of dropped. It, it comes up again. I think it comes up to 70 metres mm-hmm. from two kilometres deep. As we come to that 70 metres depth, it just went away and that was it. it was wonderful and imagine just staying there to feed and the shark just said oh yeah what's going on and as i said one stage it swam right over to my wife uh and looked at her in the eye from the side of the boat that was fantastic for her she passed me the the gopro on a stick and she turned the gopro on and i swam one arm drill for a while videoing the shark Uh but what i did wrong was actually go to turn the gopro on it was an old gopro with no screen on the back uh-huh. And I, I, in fact, turned it off. So I was just holding a bit of plastic over that shark for 15 minutes, doing the one unreal, which is pretty stupid.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, but you've got it up here, if you can remember. i it. got it where That's
1: it matters, great. and, and yeah. everyone saw it, and they just, they just had a great experience around it as well.
0: That's great. That's fantastic. Wow. Tell us another story from one of your channels. What's another beautiful experience you've had?
1: Oh, beautiful stories. Mm, I don't know about those, but um, mm-hmm. I, I remember – i remember the cook straight and phil's a professional he's he's a hard ass and i think he likes being known as a hard ass he mm-hmm. he sure is he knows that channel very very well so this is my second uh trip to new zealand not a big deal from us because it's a very short flight right because the first one was just weathered out and didn't get a chance so waited 10 days um at the end my wife had to come back to go to work so i was just on my own phil found um Somebody, Brett, was a wonderful local, who just volunteered to sit on the boat with Phil for, for the whole swim. Uh, Jonathan Radcliffe uh, was doing the swim with another one of Phil's boats at the same time. So uh, we just swam, I oh, can't remember the day, but it was in December, so it was getting pretty cool. I think it was 15 degrees, so it wasn't too bad. But for the first time, I was shivering in the water, and I, I don't know why, and Phil just said, tell me everything so I can do some way to, you know, make it easier, make it better for me. So halfway across, I said, Phil, I'm shivering and I shouldn't be, but I am. He said, don't worry about it, keep swimming. So he tipped all my feeds half out and topped them up with hot water, effectively making my feeds half as strong. Mm -hmm. And and eventually I realised that I'd been having too much feed. So Phil helped me adjust my feeding program according to that. Mm -hmm. And just a bit of warm water stopped me shivering, brought my temperature back up, uh, and I was fine again. But that was a tough swim. And Phil always says, don't expect good weather, this is a cook straight. Everyone thinks it's the shortest, so it's the easiest. Right. You'll get the drift when you talk to him. <laughs> it'll be very entertaining. Um, but when you get in there, he is watching you like a hawk every stroke along the way and analysing and talking to the boats. He's on a little uh, rubber ducky right beside you all the way and the bigger boat's pretty close by as well. So mm-hmm. he watched me He looked after me like a kitten all the way and I think... Uh, The dark clouds started to gather. I was longer uh, than I expected. The current was coming in in a way that was sort of wrapping around the South Island. And I was still in, like you can imagine, a shadow of those currents. I just had to maintain inside of that before the currents wrapped around and pushed me away. So if you listen to Phil, it was only like minutes before I was getting pushed away. And I had to swim into these cliffs uh, at near midnight and the water was getting rough um, there was a faint light on his boat. It was confusing and hard, but well, I could just hear him for two hours, the last two hours, screaming and yelling, and I didn't even have the chance to scream or swear back at him. Um, <laughs> uh, and I promised myself I would, but I didn't, of course, because he was responsible for getting me across. Right. They plucked me out at the end and, um, and looked after me, and I just woke up when I was back at the, um, when I was back at the, the marina. Oh, wow. But because I was on my own, I, I had to drive myself back to uh, oh, Wellington, <laughs> a little bit beaten up. And I, when they landed me, I think I, I hurt my ribs on the on the uh, the metal uh, fuel tank on the boat. So oh, I feel a bit bruised, a bit yeah. tired and a bit battered and what have you. Then I got to the house that I'd hired and I, that I'd rented and I couldn't find the keys anywhere. Oh, so no. I, had sort of, I had to break into this rental property <laughs> through, the, through the bathroom window And I knew I was going to slip and be found dead on the tiles of the bathroom the next day or two days later or something like that. But I had just enough strength to get over very, very carefully, flopped into the bath like a prized tuna, filled it up with hot water and just contemplated my next move to the kitchen to get something to eat. But very slow, very anticlimactic again. You know, there was no fanfare, no ticker tape parade. Right, right. (laughs) I think think you've got to get used to that if you're a marathon swimmer. There's no ticker tape parade at the end. Exactly. And even when you come back to your squad, they go, oh, you swam cook straight. Well, well done. Congratulations. <laughs> now, back in the what pool. What are
0: you doing that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yep. well, they give you about a day, maybe a week if it's a tough swim, you know, they say, right. oh, yeah, this. And you can hover around getting people's way be a pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> but that only lasts a week, and that's a very hard-fought week. So you make the most of it, and then you're back in squad again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> I hope you, I hope
1: you warm your, warn your swimmers of that. There's, yeah. <laughs> There's no awards.
0: There's no awards. I definitely, I, I definitely emphasize the personal <laughs> development aspect of it versus the yeah accolades and winning anything. When I talk to like prospective clients that are like, well, I'm working on my time for this, and I'm like, I'm not sure I'm the right person for you. I'm like, I just <laughs> want to help you push yourself. So it's a, it's an important difference.
1: <laughs> well, it's a big difference, isn't it? And um, we swim with... From time to time, groups of triathletes will come in with us, and they look at me up and down. They look at a 61-year-old man up and down. They say, "Do you mind if I just get in front of you in the lane to go for your life?" You know, and after mm-hmm. a few kilometres, they're puffing and panting. But this is a different sport, and their swimming it element is. is so so alien to us because right. they're looking up at the clock, they're looking <laughs> yeah. at their watch, yeah. yeah. And even in, even just in to the ocean, you beat you're going each other to up to get there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's elbows and knees and fists and. No, that's not us. We just want to go out there and cruise and swim alongside someone. Mm -hmm. It's a great thing, I think, if you can find someone who swims at the same pace uh, and that you feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's some people that I just can't swim next to. They just sort of suck the oxygen out of the air. So I I don't tell them, of course, but I I find people (laughs) that I can swim and It's just a complete joy. And if you're going to push yourself, you know, you push each other at different times, That's, Mm -hmm. that's the swimming, that's the sport. So triathletes should have their own lane, I think.
0: Yeah, <laughs> just have their own at the pool, like traffic Maybe in right. the pool. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 yeah, for sure, it's a different, different beast. I agree. Uh, what motivates you to keep going?
1: Uh, well, I just, as I said, I've, I love the sport. I love encouraging people to come into that sport. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a hard. I just don't want to do anything else. I just want to travel when the time comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to go back up to Greece where we met and spend some time around the Greek islands. That's a um, beautiful place to swim, sweet. when you can swim over some of those big underground cliffs, and you know you wow. almost get vertigo as you come over
2: those,
1: <laughs> those gin-clear waters. Uh, but all those swims that Martin Webster was talking about the other day, I want to go and visit mm. Martin on the lake mm, and swim the me lake too. Yeah, uh, yeah. He just, yeah, you know, it doesn't sound like he's he's building it up, but he really does. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's invited us up. I just would really like the opportunity to go and spend some time with with him and Kat. Um, with our German friends that we've met along the All those people you do meet along the way and you don't have enough time with and you want to go back under a different sort of pressure. So that keeps me going. Um, mm-hmm. My wife's still working, of course, So, uh, and COVID. So when COVID clears up and we can have some semblance of normality return to travel, that's where I want to go. But in the meantime, there is a lot to do in New South Wales and in Australia. Mm-hmm. So we've got a huge coastline.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. What advice would you give to an aspiring marathon swimmer? Or not to take advice, right?
1: (laughs) Yes, don't take any advice from anybody. (laughs) I just think find some people that you trust, like coaches, nutritionists, and others, uh, and just just trust in them. And then don't do anything other than what they tell you to do. And then you can find your own enjoyment in it, but Mm. confident in the fact that you're strong enough, you've built endurance because your coach is good, uh your your food is fine and that takes a lot of working a lot of tweaking as well Mm. but simplify that part of it and once you've got all of those keys all those things in place then you know the sea's the limit you can go anywhere as far as you want to Mm. um and I don't know what that limit is I really think people are only confined by their own mentality and their own mindsets and yep. I love seeing people break through those, you know, constantly yeah. seeing people say, this is the longest I've ever swam. It's just amazing. I still feel good.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's I swam with
1: young what women is. on the weekend and, and one did a 5K swim. She'd never done a 5K. But these are, are tough young women. I don't think they would realise how tough they are. And then she said, that's incredible. One day I want to go a little bit further than 5 k's." And then she went and played tennis all afternoon. So oh, she certainly got the fitness. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. She's
1: just not ready to accept that she can do 10, 15, and continue on.
0: Exactly. Yeah, you've got to get that that I think Elaine Howley called it the, the confidence of experience. You have to get the yeah, the confidence of experience. You have to do but you've got to do the 5K to do the 10k, you know, you've got to do the the building, but that confidence, like to me. That's what I want to impart on anyone I can work with. It's just like like giving them the con- like I would just want everybody to have that confidence and then take that into the rest of the world. Just I don't know. I love it. Well,
1: I, I agree. <laughs> if somebody had told me when I was doing my return, my first four, four laps, that you could swing the English channel. If somebody had told me then I thought no, that's completely ridiculous. But mm-hmm. you know, six months later when I was starting to train, they say you can do the English channel. Well, yeah, sure I can. And now I've done it, they said, you can swing the English channel again. Well, of course I can, because it's just a matter of preparing again. But mm-hmm. you're right, the confidence and that absolute sure in the back of your mind uh, mm. and deep in your soul that you know that you can do it
0: mm. goes a long way. Yeah. Yep. Who's inspired you?
1: Uh, I think there's been some great Australians from this, like Susie Moroni, who you know I, I chat to every now and then I see she's in a couple of beaches down south um who swam florida to from cuba to florida and was a guest at um fidel castro yeah that's really inspiring and she mixed the political with the sport and she's got some great stories to say about that um i think des renford in australia is a famous is that
0: Oh, I'm taping. Yeah. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I just got to get rid of something there. Oh. Um, Des Renford, <clears throat> who was a great Australian swimmer, but a real rat bag too. So uh, he and um, Murphy from the United Kingdom had this competition going in the 60s and 70s. And Des became the king of the channel swimming. And I don't, I can't remember how many times, but mm-hmm. um, they just had this international spotlight on them by creating this competitive nature between them. Mm-hmm. And so they raced in Sydney Harbour. They raced across um, the English Channel, and then they raced Loch Ness, like in a trifactor. And mm-hmm. they just had the world watching and understanding a new sport was emerging. Right. And so for those reasons, and they had a lot of fun too. I mean, yeah, they were just rap bags Merck looks like a '70s porn star with his moustache <laughs> and reflective sunglasses, just before he dived into the water at night time in the uh, in one of the <laughs> English Channel swims. And they still, he still is dead. Has has died a long since, but. Murphy's up there still, um, giving advice and encouraging people to do this yep. beautiful sport.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's those guys, and then there's just the um, the people that are in my squad that inspire me. Of course, Vlad is this stalwart of Australian marathon swimming. I think he is. I think he's got sixty successful swimmers across the English Channel, wow, uh, all hundred percent success rate, because mm-hmm. he's such a character and just makes you believe in yourself. That's a great thing. And he just continues to build this big stable of swimmers and triple crowners and in uh, and, and every other area. And so he encourages and pushes um, gently and sometimes firmly. Uh, and he's entertaining. And for that reason, he's probably Australia's best long distance marathon coach. Not probably, he is. Mm-hmm. And that's not only because he's my coach, because people come from other coaches and they go, wow, this guy's a little different, you know. Mm-hmm. So he inspires and, and helps us. Um But there's just some good people. Uh, My peers now are people like Linton Mortensen, who I mentioned before, who just swims anywhere and everywhere, cold, hot, you know, sharks, whatever else. I mentioned Emma Radford before, and she's Mm -hmm. a great young woman that swims Mm -hmm. with us and is looking for new horizons. And they all share that spirit uh, that you want to break new ground, you want to find new areas, encourage people to come and do more things. So, like, the Derwent River is, is a great example the Derwent River was found by Dad's Redford, I think, first a lot of years ago, maybe 50 years ago. And for whatever reason, just went away and nobody ever thought about it, ever found it, researched it, got a boat, got some people and went and did it again. And now because we can't travel and because it's a new Australian sort of standard, a lot of people are back in doing that. And I know three or four people that are planning to do that. So, yeah, the Ocean Seven's good. The Ocean 7 tough. Those swims are some of the toughest in the world. But it's one series of what I hope is going to be a whole clutch of series around the world. We'll have and we're developing more and more Australian swims. I'm sure the US and I'm sure um, other countries are doing it. They call it wild swimming in the UK. Yeah. Um, it's a strange thing because they do swim in some strange, you know, leechy, eons. <laughs> <Right. whomps. laughs> yeah, I don't know why. But anyway, they do. Uh, and but it's all sharing that. That spirit and that philosophy mm-hmm. of pushing the sport in every direction. Yeah. Yep. So it's inspiring it. all those swimmers. And even the young girl that swam five kilometers for the first time on the weekend, she's inspiring to me because she's wide eyed and so happy with herself, mm-hmm. but there's so much more potential as well. Yep. Yep.
0: I love it. Thank you very much for sharing your story today, Dean. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, it's nice to meet you, Shannon. And I really enjoy saying, you know, telling you this, sharing the ideas. I don't like to give uh, advice, but if people want to hear about my experience, they can take from that what they want.
0: Yeah. Yep. I love it. Well, everything, everybody, you know, we all assimilate information differently, so it's fun to get a whole bunch of different perspectives and then people, people can do with it what they want. And at least they know where people are coming from. So, I love exactly. it. <laughs>
1: Congratulations on your show.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. Have you heard of the Intrepid Water Accountability Group? We'll support and encourage each other on a private chat platform, pursue monthly challenges both in the water and on land, and meet virtually once a month to dive deep on a topic. If you'd like to join a group of like-minded limit pushers from around the globe, join the Intrepid Water Accountability Group. Find out more at IntrepidWater.com.